Our story really rather picks up kind of where we left off last week. Because uh, John the Baptist was going around pointing to Jesus saying, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But now John's mission begins to come to an end. And those words that were written on there, on that picture that I mentioned before, uh, he must increase, I must decrease, takes on new meaning. Because John gets thrown into prison. And as Bob said, it is a sad story. Uh, and uh, it's a sordid story. And it will come up in our readings at some point, and we will, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about what goes into that. But for today, it's, it's enough to recognize that John stood up to a, uh, the, the, the immorality of the political structures of his time. He stood up to the king, and he was thrown into prison for proclaiming and teaching what is right. And having been thrown into prison, having been arrested, Jesus leaves his hometown and he goes to Capernaum by the sea and he does this to fulfill prophecy. Now, this prophecy is probably something that doesn't mean too much to us. You know, the whole Zebulun and Naphtali and you know, all of that stuff. Uh, these were tribes of Israel and they were kind of on the outskirts This is another one of the ways that that God is saying these people that were considered to be unimportant, yeah, I love them. Oh, and by the way, this is the area of the Gentiles, the not Jewish people. I love them too. And Jesus begins his ministry out there. And, And he preaches his first sermon in what's probably a mixed crowd of Jewish people and Gentile people. Just guessing. I don't know that for sure. But his message is pretty clear. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How do you hear those words? How do you hear that message in in your head? Because, you know, one of the things that's a little bit challenging about reading the Bible is that there is no tone of voice. You know, it's... You supplying that. And uh, when we read things aloud, that's actually a form of interpretation. For instance, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Have you ever heard it said that way? Because I have. Yeah, yeah. Or how about this one? Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. I said the same words, but did I say the same thing? No. And and while most of my life, I I would submit that I I heard it the first way, this threatening way. The more I study the scriptures, the more I think that it was said in that second way. In that way of invitation. As I've come to understand repentance differently. As I've come to understand it, I hope, by the working of the Spirit in my life, anyhow, better than I did when I was younger. Because for me, when I was younger, repent means turn or burn. Have you heard that one before? Are you with me? Am I preaching to an empty room? Oh, thank goodness. You know, and honestly, the word repent 
does have this sense of, of turn in it. And, and this is such an important word. And I know that I've repeated this multiple times across multiple years, okay? And I'm going to continue to do that. Fair warning. But this word repent is such an important word. In the Old Testament, the word that we translate repent means literally turn. Change your direction. In the New Testament, the word that we translate repent means to change the way that you think. And so a definition that I really like for the word repent is to change the way that we think and act. And we change the way that we think and act in light of what Jesus has done. In the light of his forgiveness and his salvation. You see, sometimes I think that when we approach repentance, there's this idea of, uh, can I use the words quid pro quo? Oh God, I will repent if you will forgive me. But it doesn't work that way. God is not manipulated. God does not make those kinds of bargains. He says, here's my law. Here's my salvation. There are no deals other than I have given my son for you and those who believe in him will be saved. So this repentance thing, it's not something that we do to get forgiveness. As if somehow we could, you know, maneuver a situation where, you know, we can make a deal with God and then he gives us what we want. Repentance doesn't work that way. And so what is our motivation for Repentance for, for changing, for becoming different for Christ's sake. Well, according to this passage, the reason we repent is that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so that means maybe we better ask the question, well, what's the kingdom of heaven? Because when you hear that word kingdom, you know, we, get, we get some pretty, pretty potent images in our heads. We, we think of palaces. We think of armies. We think of power. Maybe we think of war. I, I, I guarantee that was part of the, the thought process of the people that were in Israel at the time. They are living under an oppressive government, a foreign government. And for them to hear that the kingdom of heaven is at hand is we are about to be liberated. Liberated politically. But remember, when, when Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, Pilate says, oh, you are a king then. Yes, for this reason I was born. But my kingdom is not of this world. It's a different kind of kingdom. Which is not to say that it has no power. Because it has plenty of power. But really, when we look at this word, the kingdom of heaven, a, a, a better translation and this is like pushing rope to try to get somebody to accept this as a better translation because we've only been doing this for, you know, I don't know, six, seven, eight hundred years. Um, the reign of heaven. R-E-I-G-N. It's a nice homophone. Um, but the reign of heaven, it's God's powerful presence to deliver his grace 
to deliver forgiveness, to deliver salvation to people. The reign of heaven is wherever God is at work to reconcile people to himself, to give them new life, to bring them salvation. And boy, that does take a a potent sense when Jesus himself is standing right there saying, the kingdom of heaven is here. Because the very acts of salvation are taking place in his presence. Therefore, repent. Turn to your Savior. Turn to your Redeemer. In fact, isn't that what's happening here? The kingdom of heaven comes near you in the body and blood of Christ delivered to you in the Lord's Supper. How do you respond to that? You repent. You change. You change because of what Jesus has done. You turn away from sin and you come and you receive Jesus. And when you receive Jesus, you receive his gifts. Forgiveness. Salvation. And reconciliation with his father. Now, he starts out this this reading going around proclaiming this message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near you. And we rejoice and we celebrate that continually. But the reading goes on and it, it continues with him calling his first disciples. And he finds them, he says, you know, follow me. What were Peter and Andrew and James and John doing when Jesus called them? Fishing, yes, but that takes a different context in our culture. Because when I go fishing, I do it to relax or as a form of masochism. (laughs) Why were they fishing? This was their job. This was their vocation. And I think that there's something important to see here. That vocation, your job, your place in life, uh, uh, your purpose in being is the context for the kingdom of heaven to work. Because you have Christ in you. And that means that where you go, you carry the kingdom of heaven with you. You you carry the, the, the kingdom of heaven as you go about this life of repentance. Because sometimes when we think about repentance, it's like it's the spiritual work that monks do. No. The life of repentance is us conforming ourselves to God's ways, God's will, living in his grace in our regular everyday experiences. Remember, repentance is turning and following Jesus. And that happens in our everyday life. It happens in our families. Repentance is an important part of our life as families. As we live in forgiveness. And we have reconciliation with one another. Unless none of you ever get crosswise with your kids. Or none of your kids ever get crosswise with your parents. Because, parents, you ever need forgiveness? 
Oh, you guys. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes we need our kids to forgive us. And that can be a hard moment, can't it? But it's so important for your kids to see that you live in the same forgiveness that you've been sharing with them. We live in this in our families as we forgive and we reconcile with one another. You live in this in your school, students. As you show respect to the authorities, but then you show love for your fellow students and kindness. Particularly to the ones that are unloved and overlooked and ignored. And you bring the love of Jesus to them. And you share his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy. And this happens at work as you deal ethically with your employer and your customers. And you do your work to the best of your ability. And you find opportunities in that work for conversation. And in that conversation, you share your Savior. And it happens in the marketplace when you pay a fair price when you treat workers with courtesy, all for the sake of Jesus. And I need to, I need to go on a little bit of a, a tangent here, get on my soapbox. Servers at restaurants. I cannot tell you how many times I've gone out to dinner with people and just watched how the servers get treated as though they were non-persons. It's maddening. This is your brother and sister in Christ. Treat them with some dignity and love, at least courtesy. And actually, this repentance thing goes into our politics as well. You know, faith informs our policies. You know, I keep hearing, don't take your faith into the ballot box. Baloney. Baloney. Who do you want to tell you what's right or wrong? Some political party? Or the God who made you? Who loved you? Who gave his son in order to redeem you? Doesn't mean that we're going to come to the same conclusions about what that means in terms of earthly policies. But let your faith inform you. Because at the end of the day, if we're following our faith, we should probably feel pretty uncomfortable with all the political parties. Because they are not part of the kingdom of heaven. Now, these disciples that I talked about, they literally, they literally left everything and followed Jesus. And that is not what we are called to do. We're called to live lives of repentance where God has placed us. You know, seeking to be more and more like Jesus in this place and in this life and in the relationships that we have in our vocations, whether that's our family, our work, our school, whatever you want to point to. But following where Jesus leads in our actions and our conversations is going to give us opportunity to share the, this, the salvation that comes when the kingdom of heaven is near. 
And so there, there are two instructions in this reading for you and for me. Turn. Repent. And follow. Follow Jesus where he leads. Amen.